Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I'm ready to dive back into this book, um, the book of Acts, and just to study that we're going to be in for a while looking at the history of the church, the history of this movement that has transformed the world. That's what the book of Acts is. It is the, the background, the story, the narrative, if you will, of the church, how the church began, what was it like what was God's intentions? What was he teaching people early on as this thing, this global movement began? Because again, it began in a little remote region in an area that most of us have never been to. But here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, devoted to God because of what happened there. So whatever they did worked. And so we're going to be talking about the church. And so let's go right back to the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says this. It says, all the believers devoted. Everybody say devoted. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Say that word with me one more time. Say devoted. I found a very interesting definition of this word devoted. And I think it really kind of encapsulates what I want to, what I hope to relay to you this morning. It says this, ardent, this is a definition of devotion, ardent, often selfless affection and dedication as to a person or a principle. And when I was reading that, that word selfless really stuck out to me. Because selflessness is a lost art in our culture. Selflessness is against our very nature. It is against our human nature to be selfless. You have to work hard to be selfless. It's not something that you're born with. No child comes out and says others. Their first words are mine. And even if their first words are mama or dada, it's only because that's shortly going to be followed with what they want you to do for them. (laughs) Mama, can you? Daddy, can you? And so we're not born with our nature to think about others and to sacrifice for others, yet that's a part of our sinful nature, not God's nature. I don't know if you know this or not, but the opposite of love, most of us would say the opposite of love is hate. But that is not the opposite of love. The opposite of love is actually selfishness. Because at its core, love thinks about other people. Love gives to other people. Love is is very selfless in how it helps and takes care of others. Whereas selfishness only thinks about yourself, what you can get. And some of you may not even know this, but even within the tenets of or the core of Satanism, the religion that that is a, you know, is a, a form of worship to Satan, it really is not all about worshiping Satan. It's all about worshiping yourself. So at the core of evil really is selfishness. Pride comes from selfishness. 
And so if you live a selfish life, you are missing out on God's plan for your life. Because you cannot fulfill God's plan for your life if your life is solely focused on you. Because Jesus teaches us, if you want to live, you got to give your life away. And so this morning, we're talking about this because this, the, the early church was devoted to something. And the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, write this down. It is selfless devotion. Selfless devotion. So it says here that they were committed, devoted, committed to learning the word, to connecting with one another, to eating together, and receiving communion together, and praying together. This church was not a all about me and God type of Christianity. And it's this people who say that, you know what, Pastor, I got born again, and from here on out, it's just me and Jesus. How many of that was never God's plan? We need us. We need each other. God has called us not to be, not to be, not to be independent. He also didn't call us to be dependent on one another. But as the body of Christ, he's called us to be interdependent. Meaning that I don't pull too much from you and not do what I can for myself, but I'm very cognizant of the fact that I need you and you need me. That is the church. That is how it operates. That is how it works. And that's what God calls us to. This is, this is what God wants us to be devoted to. So my question to you this morning is, are you devoted to these things? See, it's real easy for me to preach a message and for you to hear a message, but the challenge comes in with, are we actually living this? Because some of the things I'm going to talk about, we literally did a whole series on. The series called Foundations. We did a whole series on that. And you may be going, Pastor, I've heard you talk about this before. That's great, but are you living it? <laughs> My goal is not that I preach it and you hear it. My goal is that you live it. That's the goal. Are we devoted to these things? Let's talk about the first thing that they were devoted to. They were committed and devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were committed and devoted to the apostles' teaching. I got a question for you. When was the last time that you studied the word of God just because you wanted to know more about God? See, remember when you were first saved, first born again, and you were just so hungry, you were opening up the Bible, you were reading it, you didn't understand a single thing you were reading, but you just kept reading it because you wanted to know more about God. But sometimes as we stay in our Christian walk, we stay in church, we find ourselves reading the Bible so that we can win an argument. We find ourselves reading the Bible because it's our duty to do that. But when is the last time you read your word just because you wanted to know him better? And I'm going to liken our relationship to God a lot to marriage this morning, so just bear with me. But it's like going back and reading those letters that you used to write to your wife or that you used to write to your husband. Going back and seeing the affection that they have for you. That's kind of what the word of God is. Yes, it's our blueprint for life, but it's God, God saying, this is what I think about you. 
This is what I want for you. This is my plan for you. When is the last time you went back and just, just did that? See, we, we're called to be devoted to the word of God. The apostles' teaching, that's what it was. They were, they were bringing the literal word of God and they were creating the, and establishing, excuse me, the foundations of the church. So when it comes to this devotion to God's word, it's a continual learning. You're always going to learn more about who God is because we never fully get him. And if you're here and you think, well, Pastor, I got this thing figured out. You haven't even figured out your wife yet. How can you figure out God? And if you say, I figured out my wife, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. You have not. I've been married 30 years. Okay, she's going to change at year 31. Trust me. We're constantly learning about God. Something interesting happened to me this past week. I was preparing for this message and I went to a coffee house, sit down and, and I just prepped my message, get ready for this. And I walked in and I saw a teenager from our church and he was sitting there and it was around school time. And so I used to be a youth pastor. So my first thought is, okay, so he's cutting school. Let me go talk to him. So I walked up to him and I said, hey, man, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm getting ready to meet Cody. Y'all know Cody. Cody placed the keys for us. So I'm getting ready to meet Cody. I said, what are y'all doing? He said, Cody's taking me through the gold book, our discipleship book. And he says, today we're talking about spiritual gifts. So think about this for a minute. A teenager is sitting at a coffee house waiting for someone to come and disciple him. And they're sharing in God's word together. Let me help you. That's not common. That's not even normal. But that's God. And what were they sharing in? God's word together. They were learning God's word. Cody was able to take what he learned from God's word and his experiences in church and help impart that to a young man so that that young man can one day grow and have his experiences with God and one day impart that to another young man. And then one day that young man, do you see how this works? They were committed, devoted to the apostles' teachings. Are you? Are you? And this gold book discipleship thing, this is not just like a, a scheme or a gimmick or something that we're going to try. This is something, we're teaching people the foundations of God's word. If you haven't gone through our gold book yet, I encourage you to go through it. If you, if you have, I encourage you to take someone through it. I already know it. Great, then take somebody through it. Because there's somebody around here that doesn't know it and needs to know it. It leads me to my second point. They were committed to fellowship with one another. Committed to fellowship with one another. Here's my question. When is the last time that you spent time with other believers? When is the last time you spent time with other believers? And let me, let me just help you. Church does not count. Well, Pastor, last Sunday about, about a week ago this time. Church doesn't count. When Jesus changes your life, he changes your circle of influence as well. And, and one thing that I know 
is when people come into this church every Sunday and they never build relationships with other Christians and other believers in this place, I know without a shadow of a doubt that they are missing out on the best of what they can have here. Because they come in and they hear a message and then they go out and then they fight the devil by themselves. They fight their own flesh by themselves. They get beat up all week long and then they come back in hopes that every Sunday is gonna somehow fill their tank to full capacity, yet it never does. Because there are answers to your prayer sitting around you every single week. Every week. When is the last time that you just spent time with another believer? Where you sat down and had a conversation with another believer, where you had spiritual family. I sat down with a man from my church, this was maybe a couple months ago, and he was telling me about these fraternities. And he said, man, there's these fraternities out there and they brand you and all this stuff, but they're lifetime relationships, lifetime friendships. And when they have a need, that person, no matter where they're at in life, they can call each other 20 years later and they'll be there to meet that need. And he said something and he said, man, the church should be like that. The church is like that if you take advantage of it. If you open up your heart to it, and if you'll be that. See, one thing that I've, I've learned even as a young man who, and I, I love my dad, my dad and I have a good relationship, but I grew up without a dad. He wasn't a major part of my life growing up, and part of the thing that I wanted to do is to be for those who don't have a dad what I didn't have. And sometimes you have to be what you don't feel like you have for others. And once you do that, you step out and you start to see, okay, there's other people doing that. Okay, now people are meeting my needs. I'm getting ahead of myself in this message. I'm going to go there. But I want you to see this. This is a family. This is not an event. Church is not an event. This is not the place where I come once a week and we sing some songs and Damar and Jenna, they put on a great concert and they pass the buckets. I guess that's the intermission. That's the, that's the ticket payments and I walk out and I get, to hear from, I get to hear a good motivational speech. That's not the church. The church is a family. The church is not this building. You are the church. But you need to connect with your family. You need to connect with your family. They were committed to fellowship with one another. Now, I have to say this. As your pastor, as a shepherd of this place, I have to say this. And some of this may rub you the wrong way, but it's the word of God. And I assure you, my goal is not to offend you unless you need to be offended. This is what... I have to point out to you, not every person who attends this church is born again. Not every person who attends this church loves Jesus. And not every person who attends this church means you well. And that's not to seed mistrust for those of you who already have it. But it is to point out a very clear fact. There are certain people even within this church that you need to stay away from. Pastor, that doesn't sound right. It's biblical. It's the word of God. 
See, there are people, there are people in the church even right now who are claiming to be your brother, are claiming to be your sister, and are living in a moral lifestyle, and they will do nothing but pull you down. Let me tell you what the Word of God says. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says this. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church. He says, when I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worships idol or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. And this is what he says, Do, don't even eat with such people. Pastor, that sounds hard. It's God's word. And it's there to protect you. Because what happens is you come in and all of a sudden God's changing your life and, you, and you're seeing things clear and you're trying your hardest to live for God and you want to live a pure life. And then all of a sudden you start getting in relationships because the pastor told you to get in relationships with other people. And all of a sudden you start seeing people who've been sitting in this church for years who have not changed the lifestyle that they're living and they're living the same way that you were living before you got born again. And all of a sudden you start questioning, is this thing even real? I'm here to tell you as your pastor, there are people who are living in this church, not living in this church, we'd, we'd kick them out, but, but they're not good for you. And hear me, avoid them. Avoid them. They don't represent Jesus. Are there hypocrites in this church? You better believe it, we all are. We all are, what do I mean by that? Not a single person in this church is perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. As a matter of fact, I'm also not talking about people who are struggling. It's one thing, when your brother or your sister falls, the Bible says we are to gently restore them. I'm not talking about judging people who made a mistake. I'm talking about protecting yourself from people who are habitually living a lifestyle of sin. Their consciences are seared. They are not good for you. And if that is you, as your pastor, I love you enough to say, repent. Yes. Repent. And what does that word mean? I'm not telling you that angrily. I love you. But I'm telling you, one day you will face God for living that way. Change now so that when you stand before him, you see a smile on his face. Again, this is not to make you a judgmental people. I don't want us to be a religious, judgmental church. But this is to protect the purity that's inside of you, the new life that's inside of you. I don't want someone's hypocrisy to crush you. And those who mess up again, we gently restore them with compassion because we know none of us are above it. None of us are above messing up. But there's a difference between a person who falls and is trying to get back up and a person who does not care if they're wallowing in the mud or not. Yeah, I don't have to agree with that. Committed to breaking bread together. Committed to breaking bread 
together. They shared meals together and communion together. See, what I'm talking about is not just fellowship with each other, but fellowship with each other and with the Lord. See, when we receive communion together, first of all, we need to be together, having meals together, having crawfish boils together, and enjoying each other's company. And if you have one, invite your pastor. <laughs> Just slide that in there. But also, that's good for us, that's fellowship for us. But when we receive communion together, let me tell you something. It's us with other believers, and at the very center of it is the Lord. The reason I've been having y'all sit down lately when we receive communion is because I want you to get that picture. I want you to fully understand this is us pulling our seats up to the table to share a meal with the Lord. That's what receiving communion is. It's not, just for clarity's sake, it is not something that you have to take every week to stay safe. That's not what communion is. Maybe some of you have been taught that that is not what the Bible teaches. But it is a fellowship that God does tell us to, to continue in. It's something that he began. And so that's, we, we break bread together. And also, going beyond just communion, Damar and our, our student director were talking the other day about how we were when we were in youth ministry. Now, I'm much older than him because I'm 40. Just throw that out there. I don't know if y'all have ever heard that before. A man told me today, I, I was walking in the back, and he said, he said, hey, young man. I said, hey, slightly older man. <laughs> and he said, slightly older. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 57. I'm like, slightly older man. <laughs> anyway. We, when I was in youth ministry back in the day, I remember, and I, some of you have heard me say this many times before, but when I was in youth ministry, it wasn't about video games for me. It wasn't about pizza for me. It wasn't about having fun events, although those are great. We were talking, and I remember sneaking into the church, not to steal stuff, but to worship. And me and a number of my friends, we would sneak in to the church, get there at 10 o'clock at night, stay there till 1 o'clock in the morning. And one of us would just get up on the, on the keys, and one of us would play an acoustic guitar, and we would just sing to the Lord, and we'd worship. This was not a one-time thing. We were sneaking to the church because we were hungry for God. And we were doing it together. It was us fellowshipping with one another and then going to fellowship with the Lord together. That wasn't on youth group nights. That was on a Friday. What, what teenager in their right mind is going to church on a Friday night? <laughs> we were because we just loved God. We wanted him to do something in our lives and in our city and in the schools around us, we were praying and seeking God. Listen, that's what God wants for the church. And some of you may go, that seems boring. It's because you haven't tasted it. You haven't tasted it. You haven't experienced it. It's easy to say, ah, I don't think pizza would be good. Because you never had it. <laughs> the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So my question is, do you get together to simply pray and worship with other believers beyond Sunday? When's the last time that you got together with someone, maybe even outside of your family, maybe even with your family, to just worship him, spend time with him? That's what the church looked like. 
That's what the church is supposed to look like now. It says committed, they were committed to prayer. Is your life committed to prayer? See, we say we want a relationship with God. Pastor, I have a relationship with Jesus. Do you know what that word relationship even means? You know what a relationship requires? I'll tell you two things, time and communication. That's what prayer is. As a matter of fact, part of the reason why our, mar- our, our marriages get in trouble is we stop spending time together and we stop communicating with one another. Part of the reason why you, you're, you may feel dry in your relationship with God, when's the last time you spent time with him and when's the last time you had good communication with him? This is what relationships require. That's how you nurture a relationship. Prayer nurtures your relationship with God. Is your life committed to that? How is your prayer life? See, again, I'm not talking about having to pray an hour a day. And let me just clarify something because I say that a lot. You don't have to pray an hour a day or two hours a day. And if you're a new believer, please don't put that yoke on yourself. But if you've been a believer for a long time, it's probably time to get past 10 minutes a day. It's probably time to get past, ah, I kind of prayed in passing. Jesus talks about having a closet, your secret place where you and the Lord go to and spend time together. Spend quality time. And if you don't know how, let's go revert back to some of the ones I just mentioned. Get with people who know how to pray and let them teach you. We have incredible intercessors in our church. Where, where, where's, where's James Verrett? Where's Mike and Mary Kofel? Where's, where's um, Jackie and Alan and Paul and Kathy? And these are people who know how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, go tell them, I don't know how to pray. Trust me, they will show you. They will show you. And they'll probably sneak into this church. Y'all, we have cameras. We didn't have that back in the day. Technology has upgraded. But there's people that would love to teach you what that looks like and what that means and help you nurture your relationship with God. Then it says this in Acts chapter 2. I'm excited to get to this part. Verse 43, it says, a deep sense of awe came over them all. Who? The people that were beginning the church. The 3,000 people that got born again in one fell swoop that we've talked about in other messages. But a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonder. Wonders, excuse me. There was a reverence for God. They didn't treat God like common. They weren't, they didn't treat God with contempt because God was working in their midst and when God is working in our midst, there is a sense of awe and reverence that comes for who he is. See, it's one thing to treat God like like he's a religion and when you treat God like he's a religion, then you come in and you really don't care how you act when you're around God or God's people. Although God is always watching, there's a difference between God being omnipresent, which he is, and when God chooses to manifest his glory and you sense, okay, God is in the room. I know he's watching, but now it feels like he's right here. And some of you may have never experienced that, but I assure you it's real. And when that happens, there is a sense of reverence that you have for the presence of God. 
You don't act the same. People say, man, I would, I, can't, I would love to see Jesus. I would love to see God. I want to see an angel. You know what the Bible says happens when that happens? When that happens, people hit their face on the ground and they're afraid they're going to die. God's presence is not something that we toy with and we play with. And listen, I don't want us to become legalistic or, or religious, but I don't want to swing to the other side of the pendulum either where we treat God as if he's commonplace. He's not. He's the God of the universe. He's not common. He is holy. Holy. He's a holy God, and we owe him that honor and that reverence. And I believe in that day for the Jewish people because they hadn't. Listen, according to the word of God, the last prophet that they had heard from was 400 years prior to the time that Jesus came. Malachi. The last book in the Old Testament. From that time to the New Testament when Jesus came was a period that we call it the intertestamental period, which was about 400 plus years. So what happens when you haven't experienced God in 400 plus years? You start to treat him like a system. You start to treat him like a way of doing things and kind of the way we do life versus a person that we have a relationship with. And I believe that's what the Jewish people were treating God like. Like he's just, like I have a system and I can keep him from being angry at me about doing this and I do that. When all of a sudden Jesus shows up and there's a reverence and all of a sudden the church is birthed and the Holy Spirit is poured out. And the Bible says when the Holy Spirit was poured out and God was working in their midst, there was a deep sense of awe and reverence for who he is. That should be a part of the church. To be a part of who we are, we reverence him, we honor him. And I love that the Bible says that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Now, let me just clarify something, because there's some people who would say, yeah, pastor, the apostles did, not everybody else. There's a lot of truth to that. But the apostles weren't the only ones who did that. Don't believe me? How do you think Paul got his sight back? A man named Ananias prayed for him. And the scales came off. They were con- God was using common people to do miraculous signs and wonders in the Bible as well. Paul and, Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas were, excuse me, Paul and Barnabas, Silas came later. They were a part of a group of prophets. Teachers and prophets. Prophesying God's word who were not apostles. That's for all of you who or into all that stuff. Here's a question. God was working in their midst doing many miraculous signs and wonders. Have you ever seen God do a miracle? I have. Whoa, pastor, this is getting weird. Shouldn't. Because I believe that Jesus was and the church should be naturally supernatural. I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about cartwheels. I'm not talking about running around the church. I've already told you, if you do it, we tackle. That's what, we, what will happen. We believe in decent and in order, but I believe in the supernatural power of God to change lives. And sometimes we call things miracles that are not miracles. The sun came up today. It's a miracle. It happens every day. God does supernatural things in our midst. I remember 
First of all, I've seen God change people's lives who no one thought that was possible. You may have a family member that you think, I'm praying God, but I don't even know if you can change them. He can. Trust me, if God can change James Bertrand, God can change anybody. (laughs) God can change us. I've seen that happen. I remember sitting in a prayer meeting. Not a prayer meeting, excuse me. We had brought in a traveling pastor, a traveling preacher. And I was standing near this girl who came in. And her feet were all wrapped up in these bandages and these, these kind of things. And I, don't, I didn't know what the issue was. But I remember this traveling preacher praying for her. And I remember this girl taking those bandages off and dancing in the church. And she was saying, God healed me. God healed me. And I watched her dance and I, watched, I listened to her say, the doctor said I would never do this. The doctor said I would never do that. And God healed me and I'm doing it. I watched that miracle happen in front of my very eyes. And this wasn't like somebody, because some of y'all are skeptics. Well, they must have paid her and she came in and she performed. I watched her many years later at a church that was not even that church, still completely healed. Does God do that? Of course he does. We're honored today to have two of the missionaries that, that we helped send to Haiti, TJ and Laney. Wave to everybody. Love TJ and Laney. Raised up in this house, sent out in, in Haiti right now, missionaries to kids. With, they have orphanages where they take care of those who are really in need. Not like America in need, like really in need. And I've heard the stories, and T.J. Laney could attest to this. They have, to, they have no electric grid. It's not like a good system that they have. They have generators that require fuel. And if you don't have fuel, you don't have electricity. You don't have power. They could tell you stories and testimonies of going to bed, not having any fuel to run their generator, and waking up the next morning is completely full without them doing a thing. T.J. Laney, am I telling the truth? They could tell you testimonies of that. Why? Because God, when God is in our midst, he does incredible things. When you're doing what he wants you to do, you're going to see him. There's divine providence in play for his people. God still does miracles today. Verse 44. And and listen, pastor, if you've been planning, I'm just teaching you the Bible. This is what the Bible says. This is not like a series where I'm telling you what I want you to hear. This is what the word of God says. Verse 44, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. One thing that you should know about the church is the church was and is to be a very generous church. That's who God called us to be. He called us to be generous people. See, many of these people sold what they had to help those who had need. That's what they did. And there's such a blessing attached to living a generous life. Now, I want you to hear me. I'm not talking about name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. I'm not talking about that. Because that's centered on what you can get, which goes back to selfishness. You can use the principles of God to try to get more for yourself. 
I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is living a generous life that God himself is honored by. And and because of that, because he's honored by, he does bless. Because he knows if I can get it to you, I can get it through you. To be a blessing to others. Don't believe me? Let's go back to the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide, and this this is why I pray what I pray, just so you know. When I pray over our our offerings and tithes, this is why I pray this, this way. He says, you must each decide in your hearts how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Verse 10. Excuse me. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. What am I saying? You are blessed to be a blessing. God blesses you so that you can bless others. God blesses a generous life. And the Bible goes on to tell us, what are the goals of our generosity? Is it, God, I'm giving you 10. God is not the casino. This is not, God, I'm putting $10 on OSC. And if I hit blackjacks, don't tell me if you understand that. I don't want to know. When you go to Biloxi, you better be going to the beach. I'm hoping God to, this, I'm going to try it and then I got to get $1,000 back. That's rooted in selfishness. This is talking about living a generous life to be a blessing to others. Selfless devotion. Let's continue on. This is what it continues to say. It tells us the goal of our generosity. The word of God tells us the goal of our generosity. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. Don't miss this. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanksgiving to God. The two goals of our generosity We see them right here. One is we get to meet the needs of someone. And the second is God gets glory when we're generous. God gets worship when we live a generous lifestyle. We don't give just because it blesses God, although that is part of it. That's one of the core reasons why, but there's also the sense that I get to be an answer to someone's prayer on behalf of God. On behalf of God. That's what a generous lifestyle does. You bless someone in need that doesn't expect anything from you. You know what they say? Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, God. You have no idea I've been praying for this. Thank you for obeying the voice of God. That's what a generous life does. It gives him worship. Giving is a form of worship. I've been with a bunch of men in our church and, and this, this past week, and I heard one of this pastor, Jacob's pastor, Pastor Clay Keith came in and he said something so profound. He said, worship, you want to know what the first, the first time worship was actually mentioned in the Bible? When Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice Isaac. So true worship is sacrifice. This praise that we do when our hands are raised and we're praising and that's great. True worship is when you're sacrificing. That's why I've known things that have been going on in the lives of people on our worship team up here worshiping when they are in behind the scenes, they're in tears, hurting, in pain. And I watch them on the stage offering genuine worship to God because it's a sacrifice. That's worship. And we come in church and go, I don't know if I feel like it today. Good. You weren't worshiping to begin with. We don't give God praise because we feel that we give him because he's worthy of it. Let me get back to this part of the message. Two things happen when you give generously. You're an answer to someone's prayer and God receives praise. Giving is a form of worship. Now, Pastor, wait a minute. Are you saying that we're supposed to give away all of our houses and all of that stuff. I'm not David Koresh. We're not trying to start some commune. I know 2020 did a number on everybody. I'm not trying to do that. But listen, the answer to that question is even is in the text, is in the very next verse. This is what it says. They worship together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper. So if they all sold their homes, whose house were they meeting in? Some of them did. Some of them felt God maybe a tug on their heart to give everything. And Pastor, are you saying we have to do that? No, unless God told you to. <laughs> if he tells you to give something, you listen, you obey him. I'm not telling you you have to do that. But everyone didn't do that. <laughs> but the goal is, that my point is not that. My point is to live a generous life. And sometimes God puts those people on our heart to give to, that we're thinking, Lord, anybody but them. God, I'll give anything to anybody except them. And when he does it, he's killing something in you. If he, that's why he tells us to bless our enemy. Bless our enemy. Sometimes we're thinking, that person should have. They, they should. But maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. You don't know that God does know that he still wants you to bless them. God wants us to give, live a generous life because it gives him glory. Verse 46, it says this. They worship together at the temple each day. Met in the Lord's house excuse me, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals, don't miss this, with great joy and generosity, selfless devotion, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This was a beautiful time in the church. 
beautiful moment, the birthing of it. It wasn't perfect. There were some flaws within the way they did things, even this, and we'll get to that the further we get into the book of Acts. One of those flaws was that they were so enamored by what they were doing together that God had to literally send persecution to get them to spread out, to start giving that to other people, to start preaching the gospel to others because they just wanted to hunker down. This is not just me and Jesus and my friends that we still have a gospel to preach. There's still a world that needs to hear what we have. But are you living a generous life? I'm closing with this. I used to live in Haman, Louisiana. And if you're wondering where Haman is exactly, <laughs> I liken Haman to Mayberry. But I went to college at Southeastern there for a little while right after high school. And I remember I'd given, I had a truck. I remember my first truck was what everything a first vehicle should be. It was ugly. It was barely working. I had, I literally, in order to play the radio, I had to stick a butter knife into the tape deck. Some of y'all are like, I've been there. I see these kids, they first car is like a Lexus. I'm like, I don't even, I, I will counsel you years later. I can already tell. But I gave that truck away to my, my little sister because she didn't have anything. So I moved to this new city without a vehicle. And I ended up getting the job. And I remember having to walk to my job. At times having to walk to my church. And it was not close. It was not like, hey, I live at the Bruce R. campus and I walk to church. This was like I lived in Lafayette and I had to walk to church. And I remember a man, a very generous man, gave me a bike and I was grateful for that bike I started riding my bike to work and it was a sight to see because I worked in restaurant business I'd have my apron on I'd have like a white button-down shirt and I'm just I look like a Mormon I'm just riding down the road (laughs) but God had blessed me and then a man a youth pastor in town I never forget sitting down with him and we were at this ministry that I was serving at. I, mind you, I was putting the kingdom first so much to the point where my pastor was having to correct me. He was like, you've got to pay your bills and have a job because I was part of the youth intercessory team. I was going into public schools teaching. I was just on fire for God. And I remember this youth pastor sat down with me at this, this ministry that we had and he said, God put something on my heart and he pulled out keys and he handed me keys to the car. He said, I want you to have this. It was a geo tracker, but it might as well have been an F-250 to me. I was so grateful. And I drove that thing back and forth. I loved it. I was so grateful to God for it. His generosity blessed me so much. Then I remember years later, Lauren and I got married and we were living in Gulfport, Mississippi at the time. And we had just gotten a, a car and there was a young man in our youth ministry who didn't have it. And he actually left Mississippi and he now lives here, comes to church here. And I remember I was so blessed, so honored to get some keys to my car. And instead of selling it, I gave it to him gave him his very first vehicle what am I saying generosity is cyclical you get a blessing 
and then you bless someone and then they're grateful to God and then they bless someone. And all the while is behind the scenes is God going, I'm meeting the needs of my people. I'm meeting the needs. And when we hold on and go, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. This is for me. Get what I can, can what I get, sit on the can. Person next to you, God. I believe. Don't don't go theological on me for a minute. Just hear this point. I wonder how many avenues God has to go around elsewhere to bless that person because you wouldn't be obedient. So they're sitting back waiting on their prayers to be answered, and you're sitting back going, "I don't want to give that to them." God blesses a generous life. I've been blown away. My wife and I, even this past week blown away by the generosity of our people. Utterly blown away by the generosity of our people. There's so many people who need to be blown away by your generosity. And I want you to hear something. We're not receiving another offering. This is not me saying, okay, we need some money. I'm talking about generosity. No, this is the word of God. More than I need you to hear this, you need to hear this. Because generous people are blessed people. Generous people are happy people. Many of you know, it's not about the amount of stuff. Many of you know rich people who are miserable. It's not about the stuff. It's about being the blessing, being a conduit of what God is doing in other people's lives. I was so happy to see that, that guy smile when I gave him his first car. I hope to do that to someone else. I don't have an extra one, if, so don't come up to me and be like, Pastor, I can be your next one. I want us to be a generous people. Because a generous life is the blessed life. And if you're struggling with greed, one of the things that Paul actually talked about in the life of believers, if you're struggling with, let me teach you how to get over greed. Give. Well, I can't wait till one day when I have a lot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live generously. No, you won't. If you won't live a generous life when you don't have a lot, when, when you have a little, when you have a lot, trust me, it gets harder. Now, I'll end with this. Uh, there was a story of a man who was very wealthy and he went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, I don't know if I can tithe now. I got this raise. It's a lot of money. I don't know if I can do that. And the pastor said, man, let me pray with you. Please, pastor, pray for me. The pastor grabbed his hand and said, Lord, I pray that you would cause this man to go back down to the income that he had when he was willing to be obedient to you. <laughs> it's not about the stuff. It's about your heart. The church is supposed to be a selflessly devoted entity. It's who we are. Devoted to God's word, devoted to prayer, devoted to one another, devoted to seeking God together, and devoted to living a generous life. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Lord, I've had fun teaching this. But Lord, I pray more than just this time together of hearing it. I pray that the seeds of this message would be lasting in our hearts. And that you would mark us as a generous people. 
that we would be known, God, our family would go from being known as tightwads or being this type of person or this type of people to actually taking on the identity that you have for us and we would be known as a generous people. We would be known as a people committed to one another in fellowship. We would be known as a people who live a pure life that honors you. We would be known as a people who are friends of yours, devoted to prayer, your very friends here in the earth. Do that in our hearts. Help us to live selflessly devoted to you. And I thank you for that. If you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I'm not born again. We give this opportunity almost every Sunday because I want you to be able to enter into this life that God has for you. It's what he intended doesn't always make it easy, doesn't always make it simple. Sometimes it's complicated, but he's always with you. What I'm talking about, Jesus said this way. He said, you cannot enter the kingdom. And he's not just talking about heaven one day. He's talking about the kingdom of God on the earth today. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you are first born again. And that word born again is simple. It's a simple term. And it is exactly what it sounds like it is. The old you dies and the new you comes alive in Christ. You become a new person. And it's as simple as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner. You're you're honest about who you are and where you're at. B, you believe that God sent Jesus to be the solution to that problem. And C, you confess. Confess that he is now the Lord of your life. He's the boss. He's in control. If that's you and no one looking around, I want to pray for you and acknowledge who I'm praying with. And we're all going to pray this prayer out loud and surrender together. But on the count of three, if you say, Pastor, that's me, I just want you to lift up your hand because I want to know that it's you I'm praying with. One, two, three. If that's you, lift it up. If you say, I want to be born again today. Today is my day, Pastor, to be born again. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Anyone else? Today is my moment. I want to be born again. Praise God. Church, let's pray this prayer aloud together. If you're praying this, God's going to give you hope today. He's going to change you today. Church, say this out loud with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with the Father. I turn away from my sin to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you are my Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. Heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.